Welcome to the Not Old Better Show, the show covering all things health, wellness, culture, and more. The show for all of us who aren't old, we're better. Each week, we'll interview superstars, experts, and ordinary people doing extraordinary things, all related to this wonderful experience of getting better, not older. Now, here's your host, the award-winning Paul Vogelzang. Welcome to the Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Journey, Perfect Sleep Chair, and Gold Co. I'm your host, Paul Vogelzang, and I have this real, I have an honor uh, really on my hands today, just a, a joyful introduction to make to the amazing <laughs> Sam Henniger, who's a longtime friend, a well-known coach, and we're going to put links so that our audience can find out more about The Courage Coach, this wonderful podcast that Sam hosts. Sam Henniger is going to co-host today. Sam Henniger, welcome to the show. How are you doing these days? Hey, Paul. Wow. <laughs> What an intro. I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm I'm really excited to dive into today's subject. Yeah, me too. I am because you and I get to talk about this together. You know, we've got my kind of old age experience. We've got your youthful exuberance and professionalism. I, I think it's just going to be a, this great fit. We, You know, both of us understand that, you know, there isn't just one size that fits all. Uh, when it comes to really anything, especially leadership, which is something that you focus on so much, it changes with the times. It's complex. It's nuanced. We we just have this wonderful surprise. You've driven much of this, Sam Henniger, and so I'm very grateful. Our listeners today are going to catch up with someone who talks about leadership from a very interesting uh, perspective. Uh, Tim Elmore is his name, and uh, Dr. Tim Elmore is his name. We'll introduce him in just a moment, but he focuses on multi-generational leadership. It's unique. It's essential. I just think it is really um, exactly what we want to be talking about these days, these times. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I've found myself talking about this more and more recently because this is something that all organizations, every size, we struggle with these misunderstandings. And rather than perpetuate flippant stereotypes, I'd rather we be proactively building inclusive cultures for all working ages, because after all, five generations are working together. And and Dr. Tim Elmore talks about this. So we each have our own set of abilities and perspectives, but also friction spots. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good way to put that. And I think that just brings us right to... Our guest today, Dr. Tim Elmore. Again, we will introduce him in just a moment. Really appreciate all your behind-the-scenes work to get Tim Elmore here with us. For those of you who don't know in the audience, uh, he, he is very well-known. He's a leadership specialist. He's worked with businesses and educational institutions. He really has created these environments, these conditions where leaders can thrive, which is a, just a great jumping-off point for you and your work, Sam. Right, and not to mention that his most recent book, A New Kind of Diversity, which explores how to turn challenges of managing a workforce with different generations into your organization's strategic advantage. The book is already creating quite a stir and and sparking conversations in the business sector, intellectual communities, and even in our everyday contacts. Yeah, A New Kind of Diversity. Uh, Again, we're going to put links up so that our audience can find out more about this, but the book is a game changer. I think it's it's just for this purpose that our audience needs to listen to this episode. We're going to talk about some solutions. We're going to get beyond just theories. We're going to 
dispel some myths and and get at some answers. I think that this this is the kind of discussion we need to be having, whether you're a Gen Z, you know, member, whether you're a baby boomer, a millennial, whether you're just entering the workforce. I think this is something that we all need to be paying attention to. And let's not forget Gen X. They always get left out, don't they? <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Showing my age. Yeah. I forgot. <laughs> I'm excited because this episode is going to provide you, the listener, with the tools you need as a leader, HR expert, or a person who is a part of one of these generations to flip generational frustrations into the foundation of more inclusive relationships, communities, workplaces. We're going to talk about how older and younger workers are motivated differently, how to get a competitive edge by utilizing the particular advantages of each generation, and a whole lot more. Sam, I always enjoy talking with you. You, I've heard you speak in, in public settings. You really just have a way with words. You couldn't have put that more succinctly. I think finding harmony in diversity is key right now. It's fostering this inclusive culture where everyone, regardless of age, feels seen, feels heard. Most importantly, you know, injecting people with this feeling of empowerment to 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 contribute. You know, so please grab a notepad, pay close attention. I think this episode is just gonna is gonna rock you. I think it's just jam-packed with information. You're not gonna want to miss it. And I think just on a very special level, you will hear Dr. Elmore um, get emotional, frankly. He, he, he really is very touched, and it's, it's a very uh, genuine, sweet moment when he talks about his daughter and her awareness of this subject. I enjoy this conversation from start to finish, and I think you will too. So stay tuned as Paul and I talk with Dr. Tim Elmore, and we explore this area of multi-generational leadership. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Paul. It's great to be with you today. I think we're just going to have a wonderful conversation. I know my audience is just excited to learn more about this fantastic book about diversity. We're going to talk about diversity in generations. You've got me on the one hand, kind of skews way over in the age group. <laughs> Sam Henniger on the other end. Sam, of course, is the host of The Courage Coach for Executives. And we just are going to pick your brain. We're going to talk about the book. And we're just going to really dive into this. But I guess I I thought I'd just start with your sense, because the book does such a nice job of kind of talking about leadership and its evolution, maybe in the context of kind of boomers and millennials, maybe tell us a little bit about the evolution of leadership as it relates to kind of these two generations. Well, boomers and millennials, you just mentioned those two, are the two largest generations in American history. So it's kind of like hills and valleys. Uh, The builders before the boomers were a smaller generation, grew up in the Great Depression. Mom and dad didn't have as much money to raise five or six or seven kids. But then the baby boom happened, as you well know, Paul, right after World War II, there was a boom of babies as the soldiers came home. So 76.4 million people were born in our generation. Uh, That was a huge hill. And then there was a valley. The Xers come after the boomers, but they weren't first called Generation X. They were first called Baby Busters back in the 60s. And the reason for that is the first year of their generation's existence was the public introduction of the birth control pill. 
So it was a valley that you had, you had uh, Roe v. Wade and, and, and the birth, the contraceptive. So there was millions less kids. Then the millennials were huge, 80s and 90s kids. We decided kids are really important. So we had a lot of kids and then Gen Z's down. So the American demographic is hills and valleys, hills and valleys, which of course affects economics and social security. And even the shadow we feel like we live in, you know, in front of or behind another generation. So I believe, I'm, I'm so sorry, this is a long answer to your question, but- It's a great answer, I believe, please. I believe the leadership style that really connects has changed. So way back in the 50s and 60s, it was more of a military commander style, even if it was a benevolent military commander. In fact, look at our presidents, Eisenhower, uh, JFK, military people, top down, get the order out. Come on, just do the job. You saluted that leader and you did what he said. And you see it was he, not she. But then as the 60s and 70s came along, people were more savvy and there were protests, right? Remember this way back in the day? And so the leader as a CEO style emerged. Or now, even if you didn't like the order that was being barked out, if you liked the vision, you stayed with that leader on that journey. It was very vision motivated. By the 80s, it was leader as entrepreneur. So the style was more, we want to be first out of the gate to develop that new product. Think about all the, the new innovations that came out in the 80s, the Walkman and the cell phone was birthed and everything else. By the 90s, Gen X was big on the scene. It was the leader as a coach. In fact, you might remember the coaching books were huge and they still are. But now the, the person had to be more relatable. Uh, I'm not in my ivory tower. I'm coming down and mixing it up. We came up with user-friendly workplaces back in the 90s and onward. So the leader's a coach. By the first decade of the 21st century, it was the leader as a connector. So now we're in a digital age. We had phones and we had computers that were normalized. So now I want to connect the people. And it's more of a flat playing ground. But I'm telling you guys, today, the leader that is most relevant has shifted his or her style. And I call it the leader as a poet gardener. A poet gardener. Let me explain very quickly. The poet, well, you know what a poet is. The poet is someone who observes something in culture, puts words to it in an eloquent way, wordsmiths what he or she feels. And people go, ah, you just said what I was feeling. So I think the poet leader puts a team of leaders together with him or her. And by the way, not just a team of people, a team of leaders. And the poet leaders listening and observing, not just barking out orders. But then when they wordsmith the vision, people go, yes, you just said what we were all feeling. And we all own it. We all own the vision. But the gardener metaphor I love this kind of leader sees that their primary goal, like a gardener, is to grow the people in their garden. So I'm a grower of people and I'm a wordsmith or a vision, even though everybody was a part of it or everybody on the leadership team was. So I want to encourage a seasoned veterans who are leading. We may have to adapt our style, not adopt everything new, but adapt to the new if we're going to be relevant in the new age. We just can learn so much from one another. Uh, you know, Sam and I were talking just yesterday and we, Sam and I talk a fair bit. And just yesterday, as a matter of fact, Sam introduced me to a new app. The app is called Opus Clip. I never would have found it. It's an AI generated <laughs> yep, yep. app. It does video editing. It streamlines the process. It makes these viral video clips. And I mean, 
my my compliments to Sam for suggesting it. I mean, it was a great idea, but we really can learn so much for, from each other. And I wonder, is that is that getting you know, is there some receptivity in in employment circles and leaders for that kind of idea that one generation really can give some you know boost and lift to another? We can kind of be on each other's shoulders. I, I think for some there is, and I love that story, Paul, because you were secure enough emotionally, and your ego must have been checked at the door where you're willing to say, <laughs> "I can learn from a thirty-something or whatever," and that's important. It always is checked yeah. at the door with Sam. Absolutely. <laughs> well. I have That's to. Right. So really, in many ways, you're talking about reverse mentoring, aren't you? So you clearly yeah. have much to share from a 40 plus year <laughs> career. So I know Sam must be open to, ooh, let me hear from the seasoned veteran. But reverse mentoring is when both parties are pouring into one another, sharing intuition and insights that they have collected from their time period, their generation. But I'm telling you, Paul, you probably know this. So often when we've been around our careers 30 and 40 years, we just have a difficult time adjusting and adapting. So in the book, A New Kind of Diversity, I tell this story early on, and it's it's fascinating and frustrating both. But um, a guy named Tony, a couple years ago, was finishing up his college degree in Ohio at Ohio University, ended up working at a paint store his senior year part-time. And it was a major retail brand paint store. Everybody would know the name. While he's there, he happens to get onto TikTok account. Of course he did. He's a college student. So he's on TikTok and he happens, this guy's name is Tony, young Tony, 20 years old, starts posting videos of himself on TikTok, mixing paints and, you know, putting blueberries in white paint and making a vivid shade of blue. Well, Tony's TikTok account goes viral. Once he has 1.8 million followers and 37 million views, he realizes we could monetize this, you know? <laughs> so he decides he wants to put a slide deck together and pitch this to the executives at this paint store. Well, here's the sad news. Tony did, did not get one leader to give him time to look at, look at his or hear his presentation. Didn't get one set of eyeballs to look at a slide deck. Tony did get something he did not expect. Tony got fired. Because those older leaders were just sure he was doing this on company time. He was probably stealing the paint from the shelves, probably distracting to the customer. You know, all the thing, Paul, you and my, you and I, my, our generation can do this. And so get this, Tony is fired. He graduates, moves down to Florida, now has over 2 million followers and has started his own paint store. Now, there's probably lots we don't understand to this story. I'm sure there is. But there's one thing I do understand. These guys missed a chance to pick up another million and a half potential customers. And even though it's just a cliche, I'm just saying, leaders, please listen as well as tell. Be a learner as well as a teacher. We've got to wear both hats, particularly in the fast pace of change we live in today. We dare not go in it alone without the two younger Gen Z and millennials leading the way with us. So I'll stop there. Hi, it's Paul. Hey, today's show is proudly brought to you by the Perfect Sleep Chair. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you about the game changer that is the Perfect Sleep Chair. You see, I love being home on Saturdays and Sundays, rooting for college football teams and the San Francisco 49ers. But catching all that action in my newly discovered 
chair, my perfect sleep chair, has just revolutionized my TV watching experience. The perfect sleep chair. This chair, my friends, is not just any chair. It's the best chair money can buy for settling in on those long TV watching sessions, whether it's cheering for my beloved Niners or some of the college teams that I follow, or it's binging on Netflix or staying updated with the nightly news, the Perfect Sleep Chair is now my go-to companion for all things TV. They call it the Perfect Sleep Chair, but it is so much more than that. It's your throne in your castle. Forget about your old couch. It's time to upgrade to first class with the Perfect Sleep Chair. This chair can do it all from therapeutic heat to reclining, in an infinite number of positions, helping you stand back up with ease. And most importantly, oh my gosh, it is insanely comfortable. The Perfect Sleep Chair is proudly crafted by Journey Health and Lifestyle with over 20 years of experience. They're based right outside of Washington, D.C., so close by, but they hold an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating. You can trust their quality and commitment to comfort. I've had phone calls with them already. They're fantastic to deal with. Personally, I cannot stop raving about the Perfect Sleep Chair. It's changed how I watch TV. It's so incredibly comfortable. I have never experienced anything like it. I've been telling everyone. <laughs> so please just listen. You know, just the other day, I was just enjoying this fantastic movie night in my perfect sleep chair. It was like I was in my own personal cinema and the comfort was just unparalleled. Gretchen has discovered the chair too, and she can be found there regularly. I will tell you this though, <clears throat> tight spaces make for fun, fun, fun. Well, let me get back to this <laughs> mention. For those of you who appreciate style, the Perfect Sleep Chair doesn't compromise on quality. It's available in tons of various fabrics, including genuine leather to suit your home's decor. Here's the best part. Journey Health and Lifestyle have sold over 100,000 Perfect Sleep Chairs. They deliver it right to your doorstep. No need to worry about hauling it home from a store. So if you're in the market for the ultimate TV watching chair this fall, head to shopjourney.com NOB. Use the promo code NOB. That's N-O-B at checkout for an incredible $125 off of your order. Yeah, that's right, $125 off. Don't forget to use my code N-O-B if you call them. That way they will know that we sent you. Upgrade your TV watching game experience with the perfect sleep chair, your throne for comfort and relaxation. Visit shopjourney.com slash N-O-B today. All of this will be in our show notes. But thanks, everybody. Hi, it's Paul again. I, I just have a, a really important question for you. Do you have at least $50,000 saved for retirement with everything going on in the world today? Right now could be the best time ever to diversify your retirement savings with precious metals like gold and silver. I bought some precious metals myself. And I got them from the top-rated company, Golco. They couldn't have made the process easier, and their customer service was impeccable. Golco has helped thousands of people like you and me place over $2.5 billion in gold and silver. Look, they're A-rated by the Better Business Bureau. They've earned over 5,000 five-star reviews. They're a seven-time Inc. 5,000 winner. These guys are for real. And that's just mentioning a few of their accolades. There's plenty more. Right now, for our Not Old Better Show listeners, Golco is offering up to $10,000 in bonus silver. That's right, bonus silver while supplies last. Go to goldco.com. 
goldco.com slash Paul <laughs> to learn more. That's goldco.com slash Paul. Diversify your savings with gold and silver today at goldco.com slash Paul. All of this will be in our show notes, but please check this out. We're with Dr. Tim Elmore. Tim Elmore has written the wonderful book, A New Kind of Diversity. We'll put links in our show notes today so that our audience can find out more information about Tim Elmore, his books, plural, his wonderful work on employment. The book is getting great reviews, Tim. Uh, Les Parrott, PhD, author of the book, Healthy Me, Healthy Us, says every leader should read this book. Don't miss this powerful message from a proven expert. And I'll tell you, I loved what Dr. John Maxwell had to say about this book, too, because it just it just hit it hit home. He says, Dr. Maxwell says, many from my generation have retired. Those of us who continue working need to focus our attention on helping younger generations stand on our shoulders. There's that phrase to gain perspective and learn from our mistakes and our successes. I think that just really emphasizes your message to us today. It really gives a nice summary from from the book. What would you say, though, are some of the challenges that we face? In addition to just not understanding TikTok, what other (laughs) things can we do, particularly my generation? How can we get a better understanding of of how to work together and, and really put the advantages in place so our organizations benefit. Yeah, that's really my goal. So um, the number one goal I have in my office, which has four generations working at our nonprofit, is to turn our frustration, which happens quickly because they're different, into fascination. What if I was fascinated by that 22-year-old that just joined the team, not frustrated with her or him? And, uh, and that means I need to be very open to be a learner as well as teacher. So I would say the two meta realities that Gen Z brings with them right out of college would, would be these, a high sense of agency and a high sense of anxiety. And they're very oxymoronic, but, but here, here's what I mean by that. Because Generation Z didn't just grow up with a cell phone, they grew up with a smartphone where they had access to data, age 11 on, maybe if they were on you know, social media, they come in with a, a, a sense of, I, I know this. you know. In fact, it comes across as arrogance sometimes, not confidence to a hiring manager. Can I tell a quick story? I just talked to an HR exec who said, I just interviewed a young lady right out of college, an elite college in California. And she said 15 minutes into the interview to her interviewer, I'm going to have your job in 18 months. Well, I'm sure she thought that would come across as confidence. It came across as arrogance and she was dismissed. She missed a chance, but she didn't realize that wasn't agent. She was, she was putting on, it was, it was way too much. So just know they're going to come in knowing a lot, very savvy. We need to capitalize on that. If we can get over the hurdle of being put off by that, that agency. But here's something else I would say to an ex or a boomer know they're probably going to bring perhaps some mental health issues with them. Not all, but many. In fact, a growing number of Generation Z would say that was the number one problem they faced. In fact, the same smartphone that brought them a high sense of agency brings a high sense of anxiety. If a teenager is on social media, they're receiving 10,000 messages a day when you count everything, social media, billboards, email, conversations, I don't think our brains were hardwired to take in 10,000 messages a day. So we're overwhelmed. 
That's the number one word that university students use to describe their life. I'm overwhelmed. 94% say I'm overwhelmed. 44% say I'm so overwhelmed it's difficult to function. That's almost one in two. And nearly one in 10 has thought about suicide in the last year. Now, maybe they didn't pull out a gun, but it crossed their mind. It might be easier to end it all than to face what I have to face. Well, of course, our generation says, ah, come on, you need some grit. You need some grit. And they do need grit. But I think you need to start with empathy to get to grit. Start with empathy to get to grit. So this is way more than you bargained for. But can I give an acronym that I use with my young team members? Uh, Please forgive me for monopolizing this conversation, guys. But I can get frustrated too. Uh, I'm 63 years old and I just want things to go the way I want them to go because I know the answer. I've been around for 44 years. So you know what I think, you know what I'm saying? So you know how we've used that phrase for years and years and years? This is a leg we got to stand on, A-L-E-G, a leg. So it's an acronym I hold in my brain when I interact with a 20-something or a 30-something. The letter A reminds me to ask instead of tell. I want to tell somebody something. Well, if I started with asking questions rather than telling, they begin to feel important because I've bothered to ask a question first. Like, what made you made that decision? I That was so different than me. T- tell me what was behind that. All behavior has a reason, right? So we ask instead of tell. That, that makes them feel important. The letter L reminds me to listen well. If I ask, they feel important. If I listen, they feel heard. An author by the name of David Augsburger said something I've never forgotten. He said, being heard is so close to feeling loved that for the average person, it's indistinguishable. Isn't that powerful? So as a boss, I'm not saying I love you. That might feel weird. But if I'm just listening to them, oh my gosh, you love me and care for me. So we're sending a good signal. So ask, listen. The letter E is empathize. So when I listen, they feel heard. When I empathize, they feel understood. So I might say something as simple as, oh my gosh, I I had no idea. Or I bet that made you feel awful when that happened. And I know that may sound so cliche to a 55-year-old or 65-year-old, but I'm telling you, when we do that, ask, listen, and empathize, now I've earned my right to do letter G, guide. But I guide them because I built a relational bridge, not a positional bridge. And so often we want to lead out of our titles and our positions. And I get that we've earned that title through years, yay, decades. But I have found that I'm getting my Gen Zers to lean in to me because I've listened to them. I've asked them questions. I've, I've empathized almost, can I say, fatherly. I'm not their dad, but I'm fatherman my leadership. If I will practice that leadership uh, based, uh, uh, that relationship based leadership, I have won them at the heart level. And that's what this book is about. Win them over. And now we, we have them stand on our shoulders one day and lead the company into a better future rather than a frustrated future. Powerful stuff. I, I really like that idea of empathy. Sam, Sam, what do you think about all of that? I've been just taking all this in over the past few minutes. And I got to say, when you mentioned the word, the phrase poet gardener, that actually really stuck with me these these past little while, because thinking of myself, born in 93, these things, uh, just being able to to listen, to feel guided, all that, 
really is what I'm after in my career. And when I felt my best, it's when that was present in my work. And so it got me thinking, though, because I'm obviously thinking from my own perspective, and I'm now realizing that maybe this is a theme of people born in my generation. Wouldn't everybody want that? And obviously, that's there are there's variations, there's different preferences and priorities, and maybe even themes between generations that might look different. And so I'm curious to know what what do each of these generations want? Because if we can understand that, maybe we can get to quicker and more productive conversations around, (laughs) I thought we would want the same things naturally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a great question, Sam. Um, And it deserves probably an hour-long answer. I'll try to do it in two minutes here. (laughs) Uh, The first thing that popped in my mind was actually some of the research that I didn't, well, I put it briefly in the book, but it might be fun to talk about. So getting ready for this book, I interviewed five generations of employees from the builders to the boomers, to the Xers, to the millennials, to the Gen Zers. So I asked them, what do you want from other generations when you interact with them? Well, you can imagine I got a boatload of responses from every generation, egos and non-egos. But three answers came up at every generation. And let me give you those three right now. So from the oldest to the youngest, these three came up in every generation. Number one was humility. Would you approach me with a humble spirit rather than, I think I know the answer already. Uh, Think about it. You're 30, right, Sam? If I come up to you as a 60-something and say, boy, Sam, you probably could share something with me. I need to know. Sounds like your colleague here does that for you. And how empowering does that feel? So can I just encourage listeners, approach them with humility, no matter who they are. The next one is predictable, but it was respect. So when I talk to a young employee, instead of saying, you got to earn my respect, buckwheat, you know, which we want to do. We say, I'm going to begin with belief. So I have a person on my team that's 23 years old. His name is Cam, right out of University of Michigan. When I start with belief, even though he's not had one ounce of work experience full time, oh my gosh, I win him. And he wants to listen too. So humility, respect. The third answer that came up was really intriguing to me. Every generation said, would you approach me with curiosity? So when you meet with me, I see this curious face about you that's so hungry to say, where have you been? What have you done? What app What app are you on right now? And uh, I think, can you imagine a workplace where everybody that was there, humility, respect, and curiosity. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine what that would be like. But we make each generation a competitive advantage. So the second part to my answer is this. Think about the builder generation. They bring fierce loyalty, don't they? I mean, they're, they're older. They're past retirement age, but some of them are still working. They bring fierce loyalty and, oh my gosh, sage wisdom. The boomers bring stories and coaching. I mean, Paul, that's your life right now. That's your life. But, but let's capitalize on that. If we'll bring a humble spirit with us in our 60s and 70s, we need to do this. We bring coaching stories. Oh my gosh. Xers, I think Xers bring a contrarian spirit and uh, lots of good, um, uh, yeah, contrarian ideas. Contrarian means, let me share the other side of the, the coin. Here's what could go wrong with this project. Let's cover that before we get started on that new offering or before we go to market. Xers bring a lot of that with them. 
Um, they're 51 years old, perhaps, and they, they've got a little bit more skeptical spirit as a generation. Millennials bring hope and energy. I mean, Sam, I know I'm stereotyping. I don't mean to stereotype, but I do mean to understand. Your generation, which is larger than the boomers, bring a hope and an energy and idealism. And you're sharing with us what the latest app is you just picked up. And then get this, Gen Z brings a hacker mindset and an entrepreneurial spirit. I don't know if you know this, but 70% of high school students today want to be an entrepreneur. Isn't that amazing? Seven out of 10. Now, they all, are they all going to succeed? Probably not. But they bring that spirit, meaning I want to start something, not just join something. So employers, how could you create an entrepreneurial zone in your workplace where it feels like a startup with the resources and wisdom of a place that's been around for decades? Um, so that's what's going to keep them. That's what's going to retain them and, and even attract them. You're open to new ideas and you created this zone, this entrepreneurial zone. And then you know what a hacker mindset is? It's not just technology. They want to get behind a system, find out how it works and make it work for them. I think we could use that at our company right now. So they bring so much if we just be open to the audacious spirit they might come that might bring with them and say, I want to learn and teach. So I'm lobbying for teacher learners, which is a paradox, but that's what we got to do. I don't know if that answers your question, Sam, but that's kind of what came to my mind. No, absolutely. And when you mentioned Gen X being more skeptical than most, (laughs) I was raised by a a Gen X attorney. So I I got plenty of that growing up. And so maybe the the hopeful millennial we sometimes... Yes. (laughs) Well, isn't it true? We all balance each other. And most generations react to the other. So new generations break with a previous one, uh, correct two generations ahead, and replace three generations ahead. So a millennial might say to the Xers, uh, I want to break with you guys. You know, you, you guys were cool back in the day. We're cooler now, you know. Uh, correcting two generations ahead is saying, I will never do what my mom and dad did to my children, you know. And then I think the replacing is interesting. This is research-based. I think my kids see their grandparents or great-grandparents passing away and going, oh, I don't want to lose that. I'm going to buy a phonograph, you know, or something like that, you know, because we see that going away. It's very interesting how there's this cycle of history that happens and we need to replace and, and learn from all of those. And there's so much to learn if we'll just, if we'll just be open. Tim, I want to go back to a word you used just a moment ago, the word stereotype. And, you know, so many in my generation, you know, we, we might have a bit of a, you know, a haughtiness or we might, we might think that we know it all because we're wise and have had all this years. And, and we might even become a little bit oversensitive to the okay boomer kind of meme. How do we, how do we get past some of these stereotypes on, on both sides so that we are cooperating and contributing and really developing a, you know, kind of a powerhouse team? That's a huge question. Um, first thing that comes to my mind is I need to understand if I stereotype that a stereotype is just a mental shortcut. Nobody, nobody wants to be stereotyped, right? Come on, boomers listening. You don't want to be stereotyped. Why would we do that to them? We get one or two stories that we've heard and we say, oh, all those Gen Zers are fragile snowflakes. Haven't we heard that term? They're all fragile snowflakes. Millennials are all narcissistic. They're all narcissistic. Well, that's not true any more than all boomers are dinosaurs. So we need to drop the mental shortcut, right? 
And then here's the biggest takeaway that I think, well, I don't know if this is the biggest takeaway. I love, I learned as I wrote this book, I learned as I wrote the book, I think our workplaces can be divided into two wonderful divisions, modern elders and young geniuses, modern elders. Those are the Xers and boomers and the young geniuses would be millennials and Gen Zers. Now that's not a black and white division, but think about it. Modern elders bring timeless insights that they picked up over the years. Young geniuses bring timely intuition. Uh, Sam, you bring an intuition on where culture is going. I don't see it because I I know what happened in the 80s, you know, or whatever. So if I listen to Sam and go, just like you did, Paul, what's that app you just got? How could I use that? You know, and Sam goes, I'll tell you, this is what I learned. So I love learning from my children. Sam, my kids are your age. And when I'm with my daughter and my son, if I will approach them this way, I'm going to speak to them as if I believe I'm right, but I'm going to listen to them as if I believe I'm wrong. Oh my gosh. This has been a game changer for my for my daughter who does not think like I do. She does not think like I do. Can I say that out loud? But I've been it's been so good to listen and I see what it does. I see what it does to her heart. When her dad that's written all these books and doctorate and all this other stuff, when I'm listening to her, um, I think I win her at the heart level. And I think if a supervisor or an employer or a CEO would just say, it will do my heart good (laughs) to do a little listening around here. Um, I think that just builds a whole bunch of bridges across the board. And we're just better for it. Um, Data shows that if we're open to diversity, I don't care if it's race or generation, we're just going to be better. It's more conflict, but we got to welcome the conflict. And then we just get better. Now that's going to be the game changer we need to go into the future and not go away because we aged out uh, in the end. One thing that's coming to mind for me right now is it's fun and really intellectually stimulating to talk about this research and all these things that make us different and complement each other. But in the end, Tim, what you just shared about these heart to heart connections, that's, that's really what makes lives move. Businesses grow. I mean, however you want to look at it, that's what really matters. Yeah, it really does. In fact, I teach leadership now with images. Uh, They're actually called habitudes, images that form leadership habits and attitudes. My favorite one, I do share it in the book too. It's called guide dogs or guard dogs. Guide dogs or guard dogs. Now we've given canines lots of jobs over the years, service jobs. Two of the most popular ones are the guide dog and the guard dog, but the jobs are so different. Think about it. The guard dog's job is to protect, right? They're in a pen and they're barking out intruders and growling at anything that might go wrong. The guide dog's job is fundamentally different. They're usually with a person that can't see very well, right? That's why they have a guide dog. And so they go first, they lead the way. They're more vulnerable because they are going first and the person that can't see is following them. Supervisors listening, we tend to be guard dogs in times of anxiety. We hold the cards close to our chest. We growl, we bark, you know, because we're afraid we're going to lose revenue. You know what your people need now? Guide dogs, we're vulnerable, we're transparent. More apt to say, gee, this is scary, isn't it? 
And we, we think we're going to lose respect when we say that. No, we're going to gain respect when we say that. When we're in groups, our brains pick up social cues. And when we cue, I'm a guide dog, not a guard dog, they lean in and they get vulnerable too. So, I mean, this is more than you asked for, Sam, but I am telling myself daily, go into the office as a guide dog, not a guard dog. I'm going to win my team and we're going to, we're going to generate revenue because we need cut like we need to, because I led well, not like my brain tells me to lead, which is guard all the, the, the revenue here. And, and now we just, we're all holding our cards close to our chest. Tim, thank you so much for your time. I, I just have one more question. Sam might have another one too, to follow up, but one of the pieces of research that just jumped out at me in your, in your new book, a, a new kind of diversity that I thought was so powerful and something we might not kind of take away from. And that is we all need a little bit of exercise and within a work environment, it's nice to get outdoors. It's nice to do something together. It can be team building. I wonder if you talk about that idea and maybe lead us out with another tip or two that we can take away and really perform better with. Yeah, great. So at our office, we're trying to practice what we preach. So we have um, people pair up and they go outside and they take walks. I mean, unless it's a blizzard, uh, we live in Atlanta, so there's not many blizzards. Uh, They'll actually walk. I'll see a 20-something and a 40-something, or I'll see a 30-something and a 50-something. And it's so fun because when you're walking, it's kind of like driving. You're both looking ahead. You can say a lot of things you might not say face-to-face maybe. So that's been so good for us. But I'll tell you another exercise. It's more of a relational exercise. Um, In the book, uh, in the very last chapter, I talk about reverse mentoring. And this is where you pair up maybe a seasoned veteran and a young rookie, okay? And you swap stories. Maybe you, you do it over coffee, okay? So you're at Starbucks, you swap stories. You always find common ground when you swap stories. Oh, I like the Vikings too, or I, you know, I grew up in Ohio or whatever. But once you swap stories, you take turns with the mentor hat. So the old clearly can pour into the young. Here's what I've learned on how to succeed at this place. But then like Paul, like you did with, with Sam, you swap hats and you go, what's the latest app you just got? What, how do I, you know, how do I get that AI app or whatever? Oh my gosh. So we have that going on at our office. Andrew is 30 years younger than me. And I meet with him regularly. I'll meet with him today. And Cam is 40 years younger than me. And we just met yesterday. We laugh, we cry, we're talking about stuff. But during that meeting, we end up saying, I learned from you, I learned from you, and it's both of us. So listeners, I would just challenge you, find somebody that's way different than you in age, old or young, and practice reverse mentoring. It's a great game changer uh, for us. Tim, I think one thing I'm taking away here is, again, when we're talking about the workplace and how leaders best lead according to these generations and these preferences, what popped in my head was I have a a sales background and there's a stereotype about what goes on on the sales floor. And it can be very rah, rah, very sports metaphors and and war analogies and things like that. But this conversation reminded me that all of that comes into play after heart connections. You're exactly right. And Sam, I don't know if I cut you off. Did that, was that? No, that's, that's it. I think this is where older generations may struggle a bit because work has been so transactional, you know, just, just do what I tell you. Here's your job description. 
Let me know if you, something goes wrong or I'll tell you when something goes wrong. When we make heart connections, which I think, Sam, is how your generation and younger really want to be connected with. So I often, this is going to sound zany, but two metaphors come to my mind. One is if I treat the office a little bit like a family reunion, think about a family reunion where cousins and uncles and grandparents and so forth get together. Isn't it true? I'm going to think a different way when I interact with grandchildren, right? They're not going to have the same conversation I do with Uncle Joe. So if I go in like that, I'm going to love all of them, you know? And we all know Crazy Joe. He's a little different, you know? (laughs) We all know the grandkids are on their phone. But if I go in knowing that, I'm okay. But here's something I share in the book that I think might be a really good handle. If you and I were to fly over to, I'm making this up now, but let's say we flew over to China. When we hop off that airplane, aren't we already psyched up to work harder at connecting with people in that country? Because we know, oh my gosh, they're going to have different customs here. They're going to have different values here. They're going to speak a different language here. Bingo. When I interact with somebody that's really young, different customs. Am I right? Different language, different value. So I've just like the work I'm already psyched up to do in China, I got to do that work right here with that 20-something or that 30-something. If I'll psych myself up, it's so much better. The friction goes down. I'm ready to do the work and I have much better results in the end. Thank you, Tim. Dr. Tim Elmore has been our guest today. His book is wonderful. I just can't encourage it enough. A new kind of diversity. We will have links so that our audience can find out more about Dr. Tim Elmore and his work. Tim, congratulations on the book and my best to you and your family. You're just doing such great work and you're, and you're just, you just have this very genuine way of sharing. So thanks for sharing with us today. We're, we're grateful for it. I have learned a lot and um, want to really want to put this into effect and, and make it make it happen. So thank you. Oh, it was my honor. I mean that to be with both of you. Um, thanks for the opportunity to, to get to banter and have a little fun. A lot of fun. Thank you, Sam, for joining us today. I really appreciate this. was such a great conversation with Tim Elmore. Having you on board has been a pleasure. I want to do this again with you. Yeah, that, this has been fun. Let's absolutely keep it going. Keep it going. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for joining us this week on the Not Old Better Show. To find out more about all of today's stories or to view our extensive back catalog of previous shows, simply visit notoldbetter.com. Join us again next time as we deep dive into some of the most fascinating real-life stories from across the world, all focused on this wonderful experience of getting better, not older. Let's talk better. The Not Old Better Show. 